Hi, and welcome to Com Church Talks. This is our sermon of the day. We pray it will be a real blessing to you. I know you'll be encouraged, challenged, and uplifted by the talk you're about to hear. Amen, amen. Right, now, last night my iPad didn't charge. So um, I've been charging it all this morning, and I have 36%. So I'm hoping 36% will get me through. If not, I have paper notes, thanks to Ollie Howard. So we, we, um, we'll get through somehow, yeah? Okay, so as you can see behind me this morning, church, I'm going to speak on Genesis chapter 16. It's a bit of a funny passage. Um, it's not something that's spoken on a whole lot because it's, it may be seen as a little bit scandalous or a bit weird or a bit irrelevant, but I'm going to speak on it this morning because I believe there's so much truth for us this morning. So before, let's just get straight into it. Let's go Genesis chapter 16. Starting at verse 1. So if you brought paper Bibles with you this morning, then uh, go to that. If you brought electronic Bibles, then you can get that up too. Uh, Does anyone have a paper Bible anymore? Put your hand in the air if you've got a paper Bible. Let's have a clap for people with paper Bibles. Yeah, I I don't have a paper Bible with me. Okay, so chapter 16, verse 1. Now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, Abraham's wife. So who knows that, sorry, Abraham... Uh, used to be called Abram, Abram, before God gave him a new name, and Sarai used to be, uh, Sarah used to be called Sarai. How many know that God can give you a new name? How many know that the people that have called you loser, people that have called you worthless, people that have called you stupid, God's going to give you a new name this morning. He's going to give you a new name. He's in the business of renaming people. Sorry, that was a sidetrack. Let's carry on. Uh, now, Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but he had an Egyptian slave, an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai had said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress, Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now she knows she is pregnant. She despises me. May the Lord judge between me and you. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? I'm running from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. The angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Amen. Lord God, I just pray as I bring the word this morning that you would just uh, inspire me by your Holy Spirit to bring about uh, a word that would change people's hearts, would change their minds and help us to be more focused on you, Lord. So I pray that you would do that in Jesus' name. Amen. So this story is... Is, is quite fascinating to me. And the first thing that struck me is that you might be surprised what people you envy are dealing with. You know, because on the surface, Sarai had it made. To Hagar, it would have seemed that way, like she had money, she had a house, like Abraham was super successful, he had lots of, lots of livestock, he was rich, and yet Hagar didn't see what was going on inside of her. You know, sometimes in life, we don't realize that the people that we're envious of, what they're having to deal with behind the scenes. You know, and I, you know, there may be your boss, it may be your pastor, it may be your friend, but they might have it all together, but they might actually not behind the scenes. So I just want to want you to think about that. You know, so 
So she was so Hagar was serving this rich woman, um, Sarai, you know, something like real housewives of Canaan. Um, and and she, she, she didn't know perhaps how frustrated Sarai was. You see, Sarai, Sarah, her husband Abraham, Abraham had been given a promise 10 years before this moment that he would have as many sons as the, the, the sand on the seashore, that he would have so many descendants that he wouldn't even be able to count them. And yet here was Abraham, Abraham, and he was like 85, 86, and Sarah was the same, and like she was barren. The Bible talks that she was barren, and you know, you can see that she's frustrated because there's been a promise on their life, and they can't see how it's going to happen. You know, she couldn't bear, her hus- bear to her husband what seemed integral. And what's interesting about this passage is that everybody's frustrations are playing out against each other. You know, I find it really interesting to see all this drama because some people think that God's people are nice and neat. But I tell you, when God does something, he makes a mess. You know, there's always, there's always something else happening when he's doing it. Like when, when a potter spins a clay wheel, the, the clay splats everywhere, but actually he's making something beautiful. You know, and it's like, it's like when, you know, if, if, you, if you go home to work and your wife's cooking a meal and all, all the kitchen's a mess, you know that you're getting a good meal tonight. But if you go home and there's nothing on the side, you know that you've got to wait a bit for your dinner. You know, because when, when God does something, he makes a mess. So I, I just encourage you if, you, if your life's looking a bit messy at the moment, if your kids are acting up, if your marriage is in a mess, if your work is difficult, it's probably because God's up to something and he's about to do something. Hmm. So, so what happens, right, is, is Abraham and Sarah, they're frustrated, particularly Sarah, it seems, is very frustrated. And she's like, I've got to do something to fix this. You know, she's like, she's, she's like, I've got to do something. But actually, what happens is they end up making a bigger mess than if they'd stayed out of the way. But so she's barren. And out of her barrenness, what she does is she creates a burden for Hagar. Because Hagar was never meant to carry that baby, I think. She didn't choose that. She creates a burden for this Egyptian slave. And right now, when you read that passage, it sounds something like a sex scandal, does it not? It sounds like something of Jeremy Kyle. Like, I can't have a, I can't have a, a, a child, so I, I just got my, uh, my colleague to, 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 to get with my husband, and now she's having my baby. It, it sounds a bit scandalous, but I tell you, actually, in the time, it was actually fairly normal for people to, to like have uh, relations with their slaves so that they could have children. It wasn't unusual, but I tell you, you know, just because something is common culturally doesn't make it correct. Yeah, someone needed to hear that this morning. You know, just, just because, oh, I'm not even going to go there. You, you all know the ones I'm talking about. So it's been 10 years since God appeared to Abraham and told him his descendants would be like this. But you see, that, that was the vision that Abraham had got at the beginning. But what it looks like when it's born isn't always indicative of what it will become. Mm. So what happened is Abraham didn't expect delays. You know, it's like when you're driving down the road and you see the signs that say roadworks happening from 31st of October, expect delays. I mean, I don't know what they think those things are going to do because people are still going to drive that way. I mean, if they think it's going to make them a bit more patient, I don't know. But you see, Abraham didn't read the signs. He didn't, he didn't expect delays and they were getting impatient. But you see, how you choose to deal with delays will change the way that you experience your destiny. You know, if you're impatient on the way there, it's not going to look all that great when you get there. 
But if you choose to wait and rest, your destiny is going to be so much better. And you see, the way that they dealt with it had huge repercussions, and I'll get onto that later. And so in this story, you have to question who is more rightly frustrated. Is it Abram, who is relying on his wife for something that she can't give him, or is it, is it his wife, Sarai, who her husband is relying on her for something that she can't produce? Or is it even Hagar, who is having to bear something that she didn't even want? I don't know. I don't know who's more frustrated. And I understand frustration on both ends of this spectrum. You know, it's like how when you're a teenager, it's super frustrating because, you know, your parents keep telling you all the things that you can't do and it's not fair and you can't go out, you can't do this, you can't do that. Um, but then it's also frustrating for the parent who's like, I'm trying my best. I'm doing everything I can and I just need a break. You know, so it's frustrating on both sides. And sometimes, you know, it helps us to look at both sides of this because I think it's very easy to make Sarai seem like the guilty party. But, you know, there, there may be some, you know, you have to understand her frustration. And if we were in the same place, how would we react? Mm. So Sarai is frustrated because she's barren, but you see Hagar is frustrated because she's burdened. Sarai is dealing with a delay, but she takes matters into her own hands. And, and you see, there's something I want to talk about here, which is the controlling choice. And what I mean by that is, you know, often we're not in control of what happens to us. You know, something bad will happen, like we'll be made redundant, or somebody will pass away, or somebody will get sick, or you might, you know, something will happen, and you're not in control of that. But I tell you, even in that situation, you still have a choice. You know, and sometimes I think people like Sarai, and I know people like this, when, when situations go out of their control, they're still trying to grab the control, and they try and grab control of the situation. But actually, in that, in, in that time, we still have a choice to make the right decision. You know, and, and, and Sarai still had a choice to say, actually, I'm not going to do this. This is a stupid idea. I'm going to do something different. So there's always a choice. And I think sometimes we think because something is outside of our control that we, we don't have a choice. She might have thought, oh, I don't have, I don't have another choice. This isn't going to happen. I'm going to have to make this work somehow. That's probably what she thought. But ultimately, she still had a choice. And the devil's going to try and tell you that you don't have a choice when you get down in the pit. But you still have a choice whether you get up and keep going or whether you lie down. There's always a choice, you know. You know, Hagar was meant to carry something she didn't commit to, but how she responded to that was still a choice. So Sarai, the character of Sarai, I would describe her as a forcer. She's one of those kind of people that when she doesn't see it going her way, she'll try and force it. She'll try and, I can use this, I can do that, I can make this happen, I can just put this together, and, this, and it will do this, and I can keep it going. I can, I can, I can do this myself. But you see, when she, when, yeah, when, she see, when she saw it wasn't happening, she tried to force it her own way. She had a backup plan. And what she did is she, she hooked her husband up with Hagar. She goes, hey, Bram, would you sleep with my slave? And he goes, well, if you really need me to, baby, I'm a team player. <laughs> I can do this. I'm, we're in this together, you know. Like, I, I can do this for us. So... <laughs> So he went along with it because it had been 10 years too. And he was probably frustrated. He just didn't have the bottle to suggest it. Because um, I don't know what Sarai would have said if he'd suggested it. But <laughs> probably better coming from her. <laughs> but you see what they were basically saying there is that we'll compromise the vision by compromising the process. 
And how many know if you choose to compromise the process, that what you think it's going to look like in the end will probably look different because you've, you've messed it up somehow along the way. You know, what, what's interesting here and what this tells me is that it's possible to do the right thing in the wrong way. And, and you all know this. You have all been in situations where someone's tried to help and actually they've ended up making it worse because they didn't, they didn't know the context of what was going on. They didn't know what was going on behind the scenes. And actually, what's interesting is that sometimes we try and act without God say so. And he knows what's going on behind the scenes. And when we act, when we don't know what's going on, we actually make a mess. You know, and it's, it's, this, is, this is the way I like to think about it, is, is, is say, say I'm working in a successful company. I mean, this morning I, met, I said John Watkeys, who's now outside, he works in Savers. And, and he works in the head office at Savers. And say John Watkeys wants to be at the top of Savers, and he wants to be the top dog. And he, he starts working there, but he's just pushing everybody out of the way. And he's, he's like, I'm getting to the top. I'm, I'm a strong, independent Welsh man, and I can do this on my own. And he's pushing everybody out of the way. I'm going to get to the top. And he gets to the top. You know, and, and, and what I think is that God wanted you at the top. He wants you to be successful, but the, re, the way you got there is the reason that you can't stay. Am I preaching to someone this morning or am I just pre- preaching to empty seats? So the reason, the, the way that you got there is the reason that you can't stay. You see, when John got to the top, he didn't have any infrastructure because he elbowed all his friends away. He got no friends there anymore. So what I'm saying is it's, it's, it's possible to do the right thing, but in the wrong way. And I, I feel like there's somebody here this morning that's about to embark on a real stupid decision because you're fed up, you're tired of waiting, you're tired of not knowing, and you're just, I'm just going to do this, I'm just going to go for it, I'm just going to push my way through, I'm going to do it how I want to do it. But you're going to make a big mistake, and you're going to end up with egg on your face. So you just need to stop, hold it, think what you're doing. So I believe here that some people here are forces, and forcing stuff to happen is not necessarily all bad because, you know, instead of sitting on the sofa praying for a baby, you could actually get up and work out how to have one. You know, you, know, you still need to have some action, and, you know, I'll give an example. I was um, asked to play at a, an, unnamed, an unnamed ladies' conference about three weeks ago in Milton Keynes. Nobody was here. It was fine. Um, but there was... You know, I got to the conference, they were hyping it up, they had all this, like, amazing, like, technology, they had a big band, and, like, this big, like, auditorium they'd booked, and six people turned up. And you see, <laughs> but you know what's funny is, you need, you need action too, because they were like, I was like, what's going on? I was like, well, we prayed about it, we prayed about it, and the Lord wanted these six people here, we prayed about it. You know, that, that's, it, it's a spirit of stupid or something. It was really silly. Um, but, you, you know, like you've, got to, you've got to pray, but you've got to partner with action. Like, they should have been on Facebook doing their marketing. They should have been handing out tickets to people. Like, you've got to, you've got to strike a balance. So don't, don't, don't think that I'm telling you to be all super spiritual, because we know some people like that, do we not? They're like, oh, yeah, I don't need to pay my rent this month. I'll just, I'm just going to pray about that. Yeah, and then and then you then they act surprised when they're when they're homeless and they're going back to live with their friends. You know, you know them kind of people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amen. That's right. <laughs> you know, we have to give Sarai some credit here because she had a a can-do attitude. She was like, "I can get this done. Like, I've got this. I've got this slave. I've got my husband. I'm putting together. And I'll be you know like that." She had this idea. She she came up with that. But you see the problem was that it was a solution without God's submission, without submission to God's plans, you know. And, and you see, Chris Vallotton says, when you come up with a solution outside God's strategy, it becomes your sabotage. 
Oh, that's a good word, Josh. Thanks, Josh. You, some of you, you got, you got to give me some encouragement here. That's right. <laughs> and it, this is a great one. I, I read this one earlier this week. That the only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing that you had. How true is that? Sometimes we don't realize that till after we've done it. Mm. So Sarai, frustrated, frustrated with her situation, makes a choice that will complement not only her life, but the rest of humanity. You know, you can create a solution in frustration, which actually recreates the problem in greater measure because of what you did, you know? And that's what, that, that's what happened to her. So, so, what, so what I'm saying here is you've got to separate your control from your choice. You know, I, I always think that actually control is, is almost an illusion. Like, really, we're never really in control of what other people do to us. You know, that's, that, that's, that's for them. But what we always have is a choice. You know, Hagar wasn't in control of what they put inside of her, but she had a choice about how she responded to it. You see, um, joy is a choice. Peace is a choice. You know, David decided to encourage himself in the Lord. He made that decision. You know, I made a choice to be happy. I made a choice to preach to you today, and you made a choice to listen. You know, you have a choice. You know, I think we overestimate how much control we have and underestimate how much choice we have. You know, how many of us, if we, cho if we, if we chose an alternative solution, would be in a totally different place? I don't know. So, so, so it starts to play out. They realize they've done the wrong thing. Um, and what happens is Sarai starts blaming Abraham because he's the one that did the deed. Abraham starts blaming Sarai because it was her idea and it's her slave. And Hagar's blaming both of them, basically, because Sarai started making her life a misery. And she's like, I don't, I don't need this. But what's very interesting is that after Hagar runs away, she flees the area. She's like, I can't do this. Hagar is the one that gets corrected. And not the other two, even though I would say Hagar is probably the most right to be frustrated of all of them. But she's the one that gets corrected. So she's run away, and the, the Bible tells us that an angel comes and finds her in the desert. And he asks her, where have you come from, and where are you going? Which strikes me as quite interesting, because it's the same, very similar questions that God asked Adam in the garden. You know, when, when Adam makes a stupid decision, when they, when they, when they pick the wrong choice, and they start running from God. God comes and finds them and asks them the exact same questions, which is very, very interesting. So she goes, so, so, so he asks her these questions, and she only answers the part that she knows. She goes, I'm running from my mistress, Sarai. You know, she's fleeing. You know, and as I said, there's forces like Sarai, but there is also fleers like Hagar. There are some of you today, you know, that, that, that as soon as the going gets tough, you'll run away. And I wonder how many people will say nothing about their frustrations till they just run out of their marriages. And how many people will say uh, nothing about their frustrations until they quit their job or till they leave the church because they've had enough. You know, how many people will say nothing, but they'll just run away. I've had enough of this. You know, that, and that's, that, that's, what, that's basically what Hagar was doing. She's like, I've had enough. I can't deal with this. I'm out. Like, this is, this is not for me. Like, she just, she, she runs away. You know, some of you don't, don't force it, but you choose to flee it. But either way, you miss what God's trying to do. Because you see, if you force it, you don't see what God's doing because you've substituted your solution for his. But if you flee it, you're not there when the solution comes. 
So she says to the angel, I can't tell you, I can't tell you where I'm running to. But you see, much of our lives is defined by what we're running from rather than what we're running to. How many of us are like that? So the angel tells her, he says, go back to your mistress, your misery, and submit. Go back to your misery or you're going to miss your miracle. You see, (laughs) God is more interested in your submission than your solution. You know, how many times are we trying to offer God, oh, I could do this, I could try this, I could do it this way, I could do it that way. He's just waiting for you just to say, you do it, Lord. You do it. It's not about me. It's not about my strength. It's not about what I can do. It's not about my degree or my qualifications. It's not about my right standing. It's not about my, it's not about my righteousness, because actually that's like filthy rags, the Bible tells us. It's not about our job. It's not about our position, but it's about you. So, so the angel says, like, go back. But you see how hard that would be because she had to go back to that frustrating place, that dry place, that horrible place where she'd been abused and where she'd been made to carry something that wasn't hers. Where you know it was, a, it was a horrible situation. But what the angel says, he gives this stipulation. He says, "If you do this, then I'm going to bless you and I'm going to increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count." You know, God wants you to know today that I see your frustration, you know, because actually the angel found Hagar in her frustration. And God's telling you this morning that I'm finding you in your frustration. I'm right there next to you, you know, and I'm going to, I'm working on your situation. I see your barrenness. I see your heartache. I see your affliction and I'm working it out. And you might have to go back and revisit stuff that's uncomfortable. You might have to go back to the place where they tormented you, where they hurt you. But if you do that, then I'm going to do something amazing in your heart. You know, she ran away before she had a chance to forgive them. And the Bible tells us that, you know, no, we can't receive forgiveness until we forgive ourselves. You know, and, 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 and what happens is, 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 is she, she goes back to that place. And, that, and, and what, what she says, what, what the angel tells her actually happens. You know, and, and, and she, she, she goes back and deals with it. But you see, until she stopped blaming, she couldn't see that God was blessing her. You know, Steve Furtick says, you can't have blame and have blessing. You know, when, 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 you're, when you're blaming God or when you're blaming other people or when you're blaming yourself, you can't see what he's doing inside of you or through you. So when she went back, it, it released that miracle in her life and she received what the angel had told her. <clears throat> so how many know that we serve a God who's in the business of redeeming regrets? How many know that? So 13 years later, this is how I know this. 13 years later, Abraham and Sarah gave birth to their child, Isaac. He, they gave birth to, and you know, Abraham was like old. Like he was proper old. And he gave birth to that baby. You know, and, and, and they were always going to have their son. They were always going to have their own son. You know, God will, even, will, God will always give you the promise even, even if you, you go a different tangent or you go the wrong way, you might make a big mess on the way, but he's still going to deliver on his promise because he is a promise keeper. You know how I know that? Because Isaac was the child of promise and God is a promise keeper. You know, they, they still got Isaac even though they had Ishmael. Even though they had Ishmael, they still got Isaac. 
You know, God's telling you this morning that you can still have peace, that you can still have joy, that you can still do the job that you want to do, that you can still kickstart your ministry, that you can still save your marriage, that you can still bring back those sons and daughters that you've lost, that you can still have a family. He wants you to know that it's not too late. And how do I know that? Because Abraham was 100 years old. You know, how crazy is that? If God can do that, then of course he can fix your situation. Of course he can. You know, God isn't like Tesco's. He's not like when you go at Christmas and you're trying to save a bit of money because you just put a whole load of food in your basket. And you're like going and you've got all your Tesco coupons, you know, that they send you, the club card ones. And you take them to the till and, and they go, sorry, sir, I'm afraid some of these went out of date last year. And you, and you have this really horrible embarrassment that you've brought them vouchers that are out of date. But you see, God doesn't have an expiry date. You know, he says, you bring it, I'll redeem it. I'll still use it. You know, but... Here's the thing. God can't use the regret. He can't redeem the regrets that you don't bring to him. He can't redeem. Like, you, you, can't, you can't redeem your club card points if you don't actually go to Tesco's with the voucher. You know, but like, like, like Hagar did, she had to go back. She had to redeem those. She had to take it back to the Lord. You know, some of us, we expect our stuff to get right, but we're not prepared to deal with it ourselves. But you see, when you don't, when you don't redeem your regrets, you end up repeating them. And how many times, Helena, Julian, and Sarah, have you had people come to you with the same problem over and over again? And there's cycles, you know, you know, like three months later, this has happened. Oh, it's happened before, it's happened again. You know, because they haven't redeemed their regrets. They haven't come back to Jesus and said, Lord, I can't do this. I need you to take this. I'm not going to live this way anymore. You know, and there, I just think there's some people here today that need to shake that off. There's something on you. You're playing back this same regret over and over again. And this morning, you need to lay it down. That's not me anymore. That's not me anymore. If you don't release it, you'll probably repeat it. <clears throat> but you see what's interesting, what encourages me, and I'm, I'm not trying to put a down on any of this, but what, what is encouraging is that in the Bible, nearly if not everybody that the Lord used made some kind of mistake along the way or did something stupid or took a detour or didn't do it right at the beginning. I mean, like Jonah still made it to Nineveh even though we ended up in a whale. I mean, even if you make a stupid mistake, even if you go, God is still going to help you get back on track. He's still going to help you take the path that he wants. You know, everybody that God used made a mistake along the way. None of us are perfect. But you see, three generations, this is, this is, this is where I'm, where I'm, where I'm fi firing my, my arrows this morning. Three generations after Abraham. So we have Abraham, Abraham, we have Isaac, we have Jacob, and we have Joseph. Joseph. Now, we know the story of Joseph, and we know what God's plan was for Joseph. God, God had planned for Joseph to go to Egypt because there was going to be a famine in Canaan and his family were going to need food. And we know this because we've seen the end of the story. So God raises up Joseph to that place where he can, he can do that and he can provide food for his family and then he restores them to each other. So, but obviously the issue in this story is that, and what causes the massive U-turn, is that Joseph is hated by his brothers because he's got a vision, he's got a ministry, he's got a calling that they can't see yet. And sometimes people will persecute you because they don't get what you're trying to do. You know, they'll throw stones at you because they don't get what you're trying to do. They don't get what your vision is. But that's okay because it's in you. And Joseph knew that. Anyway, so his brothers hated him and they threw him into a well and they left him there to die. But Coming along the road, they saw a caravan. And what was this caravan? Ishmaelites. Ishmaelites. Now, I'm going to let you process that 
Because actually, what God did there is he used the child, he used the ancestors of a child that wasn't even meant to be born to bring Joseph into Egypt. How crazy is that? God will use your Ishmael and he will use your Isaac. You know, God used, God used that caravan because he knew, I've got to get Joseph to Egypt. That's part of the plan. So he brings a, he brings a caravan of Ishmaelites who are taking their spices and their, their myrrh and everything else. And they, they, they pick up a Joseph on the way because that's part of the plan to take Joseph. So God will use even the messy stuff, even the stuff you've messed up, even those children that you weren't meant to have, even those things that you weren't meant to do, those, those places you went that caused all the trouble. He's still going to use that. He's going to use that and he's going to redeem it. <clears throat> so I'm not saying here that bad decisions are without consequence. And don't, don't get me wrong. You know, if you, if you do a stupid thing, then there's going to be repercussions for it. You know, in fact, the Ishmaelites were a thorn in the side of the, the Israelites for years and years. And obviously, they, they still are. And, you know, that, that people birthed um, what we'd call the Muslim nation today. So it, it, I'm not saying it's not without consequence. But what I'm saying is bad decisions are not without consequence, but bad decisions are not without redemption. They're not without redemption. And I think there's some people here this morning that just need to hear this. I don't know if I'm preaching to you, but there's people here this morning that are trapped in a religious spirit. And, the, and people are telling you, you can't do that because you've messed up. You've sinned. You've fallen short. And you keep the, and, and God is saying to you this morning, bring it to me because I'm going to redeem it. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to restore it. And your end is not here. Your end is not here. You're, I see your destiny and I'm calling you into it. There's some people here this morning that have been knocked down. But like, hey, God, you've got to get back up and go back the back the right way or you're going to miss what God is doing in your life. There's some people here that are on the edge of making terrible decisions because you're trying to bludgeon your way through. But the Lord says, just wait on me. I'm going to do it because you know what? My promise still stands. My promise still stands. That promise I gave you when you were 20 years old and you had just became a Christian, that promise still stands. That promise I gave you for the church, that promise I gave over your marriage, that promise I gave to your children, it still stands. It still stands, and you may have messed up, and you may have taken a wrong route, but I can still use you. You know, there's some people here this morning that don't want to give a commitment to Jesus yet because they're like, Jesus can't use me. I'm a terrible mess up. Have you seen my past? Have you seen all the stuff I've done? <laughs> but the Lord says, I'm going to use you. You just have to be willing. You just have to come, and I'm going to do something amazing in you. Ban, do you want to come up? And I just, I, just, I just remember that the brothers of Joseph betrayed him. And I feel there's a word for someone this morning that God is even going to use the people who betray you to come to bring about. I mean, look at Judas. If it wasn't for Judas, Jesus wouldn't have made it to the cross. And there's some people here this morning that need to realize that the people who betrayed you may be the people that set you off on your destiny. If you're willing to accept it. So I'm going to pray this morning. And I want you just to, be, uh, just to be open to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to pray a couple of times. Firstly, I want to pray if there's anybody here this morning who's never given their life to Jesus, who's been afraid to give it to him because their past is too ugly, because their, because their misdemeanors, their past deeds are just too broken, they're too ugly. And the Lord wants to tell you this morning that I'm calling you to myself. 
I'm bringing you into my family. I'm going to set you off on your destiny because your destiny is far greater than you can understand. You might not get it yet, but I want you to come and be with me. So if that's you this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus, but this morning you're like, I need to do this. I need to, I need to go back on the right path. I need to set myself on the right route. Then I just want you to come to the front in a minute when we, when we, when we start singing and I'm going to pray for you. So if that's you this morning and you want to give your life to Jesus, then come to the front in a minute. And also, if you're one of the people that feels like you've lost your way, if all darkness is going on around you and you can't see the light, if you're, if you're struggling to see the wood for the trees or your, 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 your life is a mess, your marriage is a mess or your, your children are a mess or your, your work's a mess, I want you to come and just receive some prayer this morning because the Lord, Lord wants to get you back on track. You know, wherever you are now, He's drawing a line in the sand and saying, let's carry on together. Let's do this together. Stop making these silly decisions. Stop taking the wrong turns. Let's do this together. Let's do this together. So if that's you as well, I want you just to come to the front now as, we're, as we sing this song. And I, I, just, um, I just really believe the Lord is going to move in power this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Don't be afraid, church. Come forward. If you, if you need to receive this this morning, if this word was for you, then come forward and receive some prayer because the God, the, God, the God that we serve is moving this morning. Amen. Thanks for listening to Com Church Talks. We'd love to hear from you and you're welcome to any of our Sunday services or midweek comms. For more information or to get in touch, visit our website at www.comchurch.org.uk or find us on Facebook. God bless.